Amen. If you are at home and you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open them up to the book of 1 Kings. The book of 1 Kings, chapter 17, as we continue this new series, God in the Valley. Also, we would ask that you would follow along. Uh, with our digital sermon notes, and we're going we're gonna to put a slide up on the screen now, and uh, we're going to ask you to take your camera, uh, open up the camera app on your smartphone, point it at that QR code, and it'll pop up a link to our digital sermon notes, and we would ask that you would uh, jump on those real quick as I pray for our time in God's Word. Father God, thank you for loving us, thank you for your goodness, and uh, God, we, we just come now, and, and we want to open your Word kind of where we meet in our living rooms, maybe with a smaller group of friends. God, wherever we are, we, we, we now want to come before Your Word, and we're going to ask Your Holy Spirit to come take His proper place in our church and teach us the things of Jesus from the inside out. God, take this text in 1 Kings chapter 17 and bring it to life in us so that we understand it, so that we see it, so that we can live it, God, and so that we can honor You in all that we think, say, and do. In Jesus' name we pray all these things, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, guys, four things that I want to share with you this morning. I'm going to move kind of quickly because there's four, but here is the first. I, I want you to understand this morning, this is kind of the, the crowning message, uh, this one point here, ready? Uh, I want you to know that mountaintop moments reveal the power of God, but the valleys of life teach us how He provides. Mountaintop moments reveal the power of God, but the valleys of life teach us how He provides. And so, I'm just going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to read it together. I'll put all the verses on the screen for you. Starting in verse 1, going through verse 7. And the Word of God says this, Now, Elijah the Tishbite from the Gilead settlers said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, in whose presence I stand, there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. Then the word of the Lord came to him, that, that's Elijah, and said, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. You are to drink from the wadi. I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he proceeded to do what the Lord commanded. Elijah left, and he lived at the wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. The ravens kept bringing him bread and meat in the morning and in the evening, and he would drink from the wadi, after a while, the wadi dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And uh, so guys, here, here's the deal. So the king of Israel is, is a guy named Ahab at this point. And man, Ahab is not a good dude. And in fact, he, he also marries a woman named Jezebel, and, and she ain't good either. And, and so uh, these two do so much evil on the Lord's side. I just want you to listen to what the Bible says. This is how God feels about this couple, right? Uh, it says, Ahab did more to anger the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And, and so, uh, when we think through that, like, that's a lot, right? Because there were some pretty bad kings. Says, Ahab did more than, than any of the other kings. And so God's like, hey, here's what I'm going to do. Elijah, you're my man. I want you to go to this king of Israel. And, and just kind of think through that, right? The Israelites are God's children, and so this is their king. But who's really their king? God is. And so God goes, Elijah, we're going to show Ahab who, who the true king is. I want you to go to Ahab, and here's what you're going to tell him and his wife. You're going to tell them it's not going to rain again until I tell you to tell them so. And, and, and so that's what Elijah does. Now, immediately, uh, then God speaks to Elijah, and he says, now you better run. 
right? Because these people are going to be out for you. So he says, you better run and you better hide. Let's take a closer look at that command. Uh, 1 Kings 17, 2 through 4. And it says this, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide at the wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. You're to drink from the wadi. I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. Now, now listen, uh, what is the Wadi Cherith? Where is the Wadi Cherith? And, and here's what we do. We use our Bible atlas. We, we figure out, we, you can even Google it, but the Wadi Cherith, this is what God's commanding. He's actually saying, hey, Elijah, I, I'm telling you, I want you to go hide out in the Jordan Valley. Right? In the Jordan Valley. This whole series, it's God of the valley. And so the first week we talked about the problems we find in the valley. Last week we talked about the production that is found in the valley. This week what we're going to focus, another, another P word here, is we're going to talk about God's provision in the valley. You notice those highlighted points I've got on that slide for you. God says, I want you to go hide in the Wadi Cherith. That's the, that's the valley. He says, I want you to go to the Jordan Valley. He says, and there... I'm going to provide for you. There I'm going to teach you, Elijah, something that you're going to need for what is to come. And so this morning, that's what I want to do. I want to talk to you about this very important lesson that God teaches Elijah here in the valley. And it's a lesson about provision. And there are three things that Elijah learns that he's going to need for what is to come. And so here's that that next point. Here's that first thing he learns. Uh, Point number two, God's provision in the valleys uh, teach us to trust Him. God's provision in the valley uh, teaches us to trust Him. So uh, I want to take a closer look at this again. Take a closer look at this again. And so here it is up on the screen. All right, I, let's, let's look at these verses again. It says, so he proceeded to do what the Lord commanded. Uh, Elijah left and he lived at the Wadi Cherith where it enters the Jordan. The ravens kept bringing him bread and meat in the morning. And in the evening, uh, he would drink from the Wadi. Uh, after a while, it says the Wadi dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And, and so listen, um, very carefully, if you were to look at that, it says, so daily, God says, I want you to go hide in the valley. And he says, I'm going to provide for you in the valley. And, and what does the Lord do? He, he uses these ravens, these scavengers, and daily they, they bring Elijah enough bread to get by. Now, now eventually the water's going to dry up, and if you read on in the story, then God's going to tell Elijah, hey, hey, now I want you to go to a widow's house. And so he goes to a widow's house, and he shows up, and guess what? The widow's cupboard is bare. And God's like, here's where I want you to be. So he goes to a widow whose cupboard is bare. She has a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, and God tells Elijah, bold, I want you to tell the widow to, to make you uh, some some bread first, right? The lady's like, hey, I'm about to go make our last meal, then me and my son are going to die. And, and God's like, no, Elijah, tell her to make you some bread first, and then there'll be enough for her. And, and, and so, listen, his whole time, this whole time, God says, go hide yourself. The Lord is trying to teach Elijah a lesson. And it's the same lesson he's been trying to teach his kids. It's the same lesson he's taught since really the, the beginning. You guys remember this back in, in, in the book of Exodus, don't you? Exodus 16, 4, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm, I'm going I'm to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people are to go out each day and they're to gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. And so God uh, is, is teaching Elijah the same thing he taught his kids, the Israelites, uh, in the wilderness. And that's that he will provide. And, and what, he, what he wants Elijah to learn how to do, the same thing he wanted the Israelites to learn how to do, he wants him to trust him. 
Jesus shows up on the scene in the New Testament just so you don't think this is only an Old Testament thought. And, and, and he preaches the greatest sermon ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mountain. And at some point in that, uh, the disciples say, hey, hey, Jesus, how do we pray? And I love how he responds. This is what he says. He says, therefore, when you pray, you should pray like this. Our, our Father in heaven, your name be honored and holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Right? And listen, what I'm trying to tell you is, is this is absolutely important for what is to come. Is Elijah has to learn how to trust God. And the same is true for you and I. The same is true for you and I. Listen, sometimes God puts us in the valley so that he can show us that we can always trust his hand. So that's the first thing, is, is God provides, right? And, and listen, he moves in power on the mountains. We love the mountains, right? But we see him provide in the valleys of life. And that provision teaches us to trust him. Uh, secondly, I would tell you that, that provision, that's our third point, uh, that that provision teaches us that we can rest in him. God's provision in the valleys teach us that we can rest in him. So, uh, same sermon, Jesus still speaking to the crowds. He's just taught them about, they, they wanted to know how to pray. He's like, here's how you pray. You, you ask God uh, to trust you for every day. And, and then he moves on, and he's now going to teach them about provision, right? He talks about treasure, and he says, let me, let me talk to you about provision. And, and by the way, um, when you understand that God is going to provide for you, it leads you to a point that you don't have to worry about things. So this is what he says, Matthew 6, 25 and 26. Therefore, I tell you, uh, don't worry about your life what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or about your body or what you're going to wear. Isn't life more than food and, and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't, they don't sow or they don't reap. They don't gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you of more value than they? And, and so, listen, this is what Jesus says. And Matthew records it this way. So Matthew says, listen, look at the, at the, the fowls of the air is the language that Matthew used. It's a very general term. Right, And so he says, look at the fowls, look at all of the birds of the air, is kind of how Matthew would put it. But when Luke comes along, and, and he's, he's literally he's going to tell the same thing, when Luke comes along, he, he's more specific. Remember, Luke is a scientist. And so Luke comes along and he, he says this, uh, being more specific, not using a general term, he says what Jesus actually said was consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than them, okay? So let me ask you this. A apart from just being a doctor and having a scientific mind, why would the Holy Spirit inspire Luke to, to get specific and not just use the general term of, of fowls of the air? Why, why, did, why did Luke feel led to dig into this story and what Jesus was actually saying? Why, why did he look and, and find out that what Jesus really said was ravens, not just fowls? I'm going to tell you what I believe. I, I believe... Because the Holy Spirit is, is trying to teach us the same thing that the Holy Spirit was teaching Elijah. That God was teaching Elijah, right? And that is that God provides. And because God provides, well, we can rest. And, and In fact, Jesus goes on to say this, Matthew 6, 31 through 33. He says, so I'm telling you, don't worry about your life, what, what we'll eat or, or what we'll drink or what we'll wear. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. Now that word seek, uh, that word seek, it literally means to crave. 
Right? It literally means to crave. In the NIV, it, it means to, to run after. I, I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in, in the message. This is what he says. He says, what I'm, what I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. Right? To, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God, that's the Gentiles, people who don't know God and don't know how He works, they fuss over all these things. But you know both God and how He works. So steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. And listen, when we learn to trust God, we can finally rest from that rat race we call life. Because we know that God will provide. We know that He is good. And we know, therefore, that we don't have to crave all that other stuff that people that don't know God crave. We don't have to run and pursue those things like people that don't know God because we know God and we know how He provides. We know that He will take care of all of our needs so we can rest in Him. That is huge. That is huge. One last thing that God's provision does for us. Here it is. Ready? Um, God's provision in the valleys. Teach us that we are stronger than we think. God's provision in the valleys. Teach us that we are stronger than we think. If there's somebody that, that lived their life um, after they met Christ uh, in the valleys, I, I think that, that guy would probably be the Apostle Paul. Right, so if you study the life of Paul, I mean, shipwrecked and, and flogged and beaten and imprisoned, and, and uh, that guy had it rough. But but he would say, you know, like like I've I've, I've had abundance and and I've had very little, and, and I've learned to be content in all things. Um, but but there's this thing that, that this lesson that God taught Paul was really important. Uh, that Paul pleaded with the Lord three times. He he had something that was ailing him. Some people think it was physical. Maybe it was his eyesight. Uh, I, I, some people think it might have been uh, emotional um, or spiritual. Maybe maybe it was a deep depression. Maybe it was great grief over the way he had treated Christians he could never get over. And it was just this guilt that he constantly struggled with. We don't, we don't know exactly, but we know that he pleaded with God on three occasions to remove it. And here is God's answer to Paul. Ready? Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 12, 9 through 10 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so listen, when I say that God's provision teaches us that we're stronger than we think, I'm not talking about intestinal fortitude, right? I'm talking about a spiritual fortitude that comes from a realization. And that realization is that I am at my best, not when I'm at my strongest, but I'm at my best when I am most surrendered to God and His will, right? Because then God shows up and then God shows off. And that is the best plan for my life, okay? That, that, that's it. So what, what do we do with these things? So uh, I'm going to give you some application and I'm going to let you go. Uh, but, but again, we're going to walk through four things very quickly. The very, the very first thing I think we need to learn uh, to trust God's faithful provision. We've got to learn to trust God's faithful provision. And uh, that's going to be hard for some. we kind of got to figure out what that looks like, don't we? 
Um, I, I, I'm doing a lot of premarital counseling. There's some weddings coming up. Everybody kind of postponed them because of COVID. And so I think things are about to start opening up. And uh, I, w- I was meeting with one couple. And listen, because I, I don't know what this looks like for you in your life. Learn to, to trust God. Uh, but, but this one couple, we were doing finances uh, this week. And so they kind of walked through their budget. And it's always fun. The first budget is, is, a, is a newly, well, they're not newlywed, but newly engaged. They're working through their budget. And uh, it's always funny. Like, we can get by on $25 a week in groceries. And I'm like, no, you can't. And uh, so you walk through those things, those kind of things. Um, but, but one of the things I always kind of point out after everybody gets through their budget is, hey, guys, what about, what about your tithe? What about your tithe? You need to start off your marriage at this, this the beginning point going, God, everything we have is a gift from your hand. We're going to trust that. And we're going to let you provide. And I just shared with them a few stories about, about people in my life uh, that God has taught the importance of tithing and how that has just radically changed their life, how God has shown up in places where they were faithful in tithe and then they were short to pay a bill and God sent a check in the mail for the exact amount of the bill, right? Those things happen. That's real. God is going to provide for our needs. We have to learn to trust Him. Second thing we've got to do um, as, as we find ourselves here is we, we need to learn to relax and rest from the rat race of life. We need to learn to relax and rest from the rat race of life. And so, uh, again, I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, right? I mean, he, he says, relax. He says, relax. Act like people that know God. And so I'm just going to say to you, if you are a constant worrier, right? Can I, can I just ask you a question? What do you know about God? Do, do you know God? Because if you know God, if you know God, you know He is provider. And when we learn to trust His provision... And and listen, that may be the thing, because if you can't rest, it's a sign you're not trusting. But when we learn to trust God's provision, we trust that He has us where we are for a reason. Elijah is in the valley. He's not where he wants to be, but he's where God needs him to be. And when he learns to trust in that, he can rely and he can relax. And God, you know what? You're going to feed me. You're going to feed me by ravens. You're going to feed me by this little bit of widow has. You're going to continue to... God, I, I, I can trust you. I can relax in that. Third thing, I, I want you to try this week. Here it is. I think uh, we need to try to embrace surrender instead of strength. We've got to embrace surrender instead of, of strength. And so, um, man, it's tough, right? But this is what Paul would declare. Uh, I'm going to boast in my weakness, for I have learned... When I am weak, then I am strong. And so this, this strength that we learn as God provides, again, it's, it's not some intestinal fortitude where it's never give up, never surrender. That's not it. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is completely surrender. Completely surrender. It, it's actually the opposite of what we would think. When we think about strength, we think it's about never give up. Well, well it, it's not about giving up on life, but it's about giving all things to God. Saying, God, here I am. God, I need you to move in. God, I need you to provide. God, I'm going to trust you to take care of me. And I'm going to rest tonight knowing that the sun's coming up tomorrow and you are going to take care of my needs. Please provide. And God will. He meets you in the valley. Which leaves us with just one last thing. And this is huge. Uh, this is kind of my, my, my big deal here this morning. So here's the last thing uh, that we have to do. Ready? We need to get ready to see God move in power. We've got to get ready to see God move in power. And so um, some people would think that this, this, this last thing, this last point, um, like you go, well, is that really for me? And, and here's the deal. This is what I'm just going to tell you. I believe that what God is teaching through the drought is not just for King Ahab. 
right? Some people are going to read that and they're going to be like, yeah, God had to teach Ahab that, he, that, that God was really king, not Ahab, that God's the one that can make the rain come. Absolutely, that's that all true. But listen, I believe God also, and, and, and this drought, guys, it lasted for, for anywhere between three and three and a half years. So it says three kind of in the Old Testament, and I think it's James that says it's three and a half. So listen, I, I believe that the drought lasted that long for two reasons. One is to show Ahab that God is God and that Ahab's not, but I think the other is to prepare the servant of God, Elijah. And I think he needed that amount of time. I think he needed that amount of time to learn to trust God's provision so that he could go up on the mountaintop surrounded by all those false prophets and demand, go get me 12 large jars of water as he pours them on the burnt offering and then prays, hey God, light it up. Right? So I'm just going to say to you uh, this morning, I, I, I just wonder what kind of mountaintop moments might we be missing because we still haven't learned to trust our Father's good hand. Right? I, I know we want to be on the mountain. I know right now you, 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 you probably don't feel like you are and you don't necessarily love the valley. But maybe God is still trying to teach you a lesson so that you can go up on the mountain. So that he can use you in a powerful way. Listen, God can't use you in a powerful way if you don't learn to trust him first. Right? So we've got to learn to trust his hand. Okay? Church, I'm going to pray for us in a second. Before we do, two quick announcements, all right? Uh, announcement number one, I, I'm hearing for you guys. You want to meet together. I know that. So we're going to encourage you. Uh, so here, here's the first thing. Uh, let's meet in small groups if you can. Not, not small groups, but smaller groups of small groups. We call these house churches. And so uh, we've got a, at least one active. I think there might be another in the works. But this is, this is a group of maybe three or four families that you're already doing life with. Maybe your kiddos go to the same school. Uh, maybe they're on a sport team together. And so you're already doing life with them and, and you're already in a place where people are comfortable being around each other not wearing a mask. If that's you, we want to encourage you in those smaller groupings to do that. Okay? And so, so we're going to bless you there. And, and so uh, be thinking about that. Be praying about that. Uh, other small groups and Sunday school classes, you guys, uh, it's not time for you. So you need to meet via Zoom. But we're going to encourage you still meet together, still fellowship together. Really, really important. And then here's the last thing we have for you guys. Starting after Labor Day, we've got a brand new series for you. I'm super excited about. It's called Real God it's Chip Ingram study, and uh, we, we emailed out information on Wednesday, Wednesday, okay, so if you didn't get it, go check your email, um, but it's going to be a church-wide study, we're going to have all kinds of things that we post via social media, we're going to text stuff out, we're going to email stuff out, um, and we're going to want your whole family to follow along, so there's stuff for adults to do, um, there's things you can talk about with your kids, and uh, if you would like, you can read along in the book, and you could read a chapter a week, um, but you'll need to purchase those materials. And so all that information is in an email. Uh, you can purchase the Real, Good, Real God book on Amazon or on Christian book distributors or wherever you want to purchase it. Um, but we're going to ask you to do that again. We're going to start that the Sunday after Labor Day. And, uh, and we hope to have some news for you about, about when um, in-person worship gatherings of some variety might happen uh, before that date as well. And so, guys, we love you so much. I, I'm so glad that you, you tuned in. I'm going to pray for us if you don't mind. Father God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for our time together in worship both through singing and the word. Lord, would you help us embrace this time in the valley knowing that you are preparing us for a great mountaintop experience. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. God bless, guys. We cannot wait to see you next week, okay?